today I'm going to read, um, I'm mostly going to tell a story today, uh, but uh, it's kind of like last week we did testimonies and we went way over time and um, I didn't even really feel like last week was a good time to share my story, but um, yeah, I'm going to share my story this week. But before we share the story, I'd like to read Romans 5, beginning of chapter Romans 5. Um, and this is just a short section of scripture that uh, I don't want to say I had some magic moment with it sometime in the past. It's just a powerful piece of scripture that I've held on to for years and years and years, and it comes up continually. And it kind of becomes like the, the marching order for going through this life with Christ. Um, but I just wanted to kind of run through a few of these verses and kind of break down how I read them and how I understand them and how I apply them to life to the best of my ability. And hopefully, that, and then we'll tell the story and you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind as you go. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word peace there, it doesn't, it's not like our, our misun, like human notions of peace on earth. It's, that word is better understood as like a restoring balance. Like it, it restores an imbalance in your life. There's this, in, supposed to be this intentional balance between God and man because he created us and, you know, he gave us a spirit and all that stuff. And, and so there's this, in, in this balance that's supposed to be there that we often are imbalanced. And through Jesus, we have, a, we have peace or a restoration of that balance, if you will. So, being justified by faith, we have a restoration of imbalance with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So faith would be the, um, the hearing the word of God and believing it to be the word of God and that that would be true. Grace we, we got through Jesus was the supernatural empowerment to make those words, of, those words of faith come to pass on earth. And we hear the words, we have faith with grace of Jesus, they come true. And then we get to rejoice in the hope that we're, our lives, our, our families would glorify God on this earth. What a magical picture. And what more could anyone want than that? Well, the next line gives us another option. And not only that, but also we glory in tribulations. And this one's not going so well so far. But um, we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, um, that first part of just restoring the imbalance of God in our hearts, that sounds good. That, that's, that's really going on a good path here. Um, that's our ultimate goal, right? I believe this second part is somewhat in part because humans have diverted from the intention of God. And we kind of make some choices here and there. And sometimes we make all good choices and other people around us make bad choices. Therefore, we have tribulation at this phase of humanity. And so... If nothing else, the tribulation produces uh, perseverance. Perseverance sounds okay, right? That's a good trait to have, and that's something that we all desire to have until you figure out how you're supposed to get it. It's only through tribulation. And then perseverance produces character. Character sounds good because we, we all want good character, and character produces hope. Um, the mistake that many Christians make in many areas is we try to dissect Scripture just a little bit too much. And if hope, which has been a topic lately, is important for us, then we have to read where hope comes from. It's not that hope comes from tribulation. 
Uh, we're going to read some more verses later. It doesn't come from tribulation, but tribulation often does a work in our hearts if we submit our hearts to God through the process that allows the process of going through tribulation with him gives us this, this divine perseverance to persevere through hardships in all things and all circumstances. That produces a strong character. Character goes a long ways. A person with poor character cannot be trusted. A person with a proven, uh, worked out, by God, character can absolutely be trusted. And then that person can be trusted with, the good, with their good character with the intentions of God, which should produce hope, right? Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, yes? If you want hope and you want the hope that does not disappoint, you have to consider that it's possibly, let's just say for the sake of reading Romans 5, given to those who have the character that God can that God has proven out, and it has a character that was born out of perseverance. Because there's going to be hardships and tribulations, and there's going to be trying times and and, uh, and different things. And, and so, just a back of your mind, Jesus wants to restore the imbalance between you and God. That's his purpose here on earth. He'll do that through giving you the word of God with the grace, the power to see it manifest on earth. This is all plan A. Yeah. In addition to that, we also have, if you can go through tribulations with him in your focus, with his grace, with his, with his hand holding your hand through the midst of it, it'll, it will produce perseverance, which is necessary to have the long-suffering to produce good character, which is critical to ever giving the true hope of God that will never disappoint. That makes sense? All right. Now... We're going to come, and maybe in a little bit here, we're going to maybe get to, there's not all, this, not all tribulation comes from, um, some tribulation is brought on by yourself. Let's just say it that way. Some trials and tribulations are 100%. We like to shoot ourselves in the foot every chance we get as human beings. We make lots of poor decisions. No one's forcing a gun to our head. We just love shooting ourselves in the foot, doing everything that this really long book called the Bible tells us not to do. And it also not only tells us not to do it, promises the therefore fruits and results that would come from said bad decisions. We love doing this and wondering why did God do this to us. It's the human pastime for the last 6,000 years. We're getting a little better. The book is just in every language now. It's easier to understand. That being said, not all tribulation is... Most of it is self-inflicted, but there are times where we are just, as an army of God, as a people of God, as children of God, we're forced to go through it. And sometimes it's harder for us to see what the grander purpose is, right? But we don't have to see the grander purpose. We can just trust Him, walk through it, perseverance, character, hope, hope never disappoint. It's a beautiful system, and only often in hindsight can we look back and say, yeah, I can see why that was good for someone other than me. Yeah? All right. Moving on. My testimony or story. Um, several months ago, you know, as the pastor here, I'm always trying to, I have to stay a little ahead of the, of the, of the, of the, the race, if you will. I have to kind of see what's coming because often what is coming requires time and attention and has to work things out. And it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a juggling act very often. I can't, 
you know, spontaneity is my specialty in life, but I can't be 100% spontaneity and spontaneous in, uh, in leading a group of people because it's just God often is giving us things to pray into that aren't here yet. He's given us hope. It's things we haven't seen yet. It's, 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 so it requires me to find out what's coming next. Several months ago, I felt um, two things were going to shift uh, coming soon for Dayspring. One of which, which we, we're not going to talk about too much today, but one of which was I had said when we started this group that uh, we would spend several years or as long as it took to build a healthy core um, family, a, a foundation, if you will, of healthy people who love the Lord, serve the Lord, learn to work together, you love each other, forbear one another with perseverance and the character and all that. Um, that we would do as many, as much effort and years and attention as it took to build that. And this purpose was, one, uh, a church without that can't accomplish much of anything. I've learned that over the years. Um, and then, two, the, the longer purpose was, if we had a healthy foundation, a core family, if you will, we could then uh, easily outreach to all walks of life, of everybody, everywhere, and they could come in, and they would then often, many times, the, the, the people who need to be outreached to very often have no training in how to live normal life. They very often are in multi-generational failure. They've only seen what to do wrong in many cases, just to, to put it politely. And so when, uh, when you get saved and you've only known how to live wrong and every example you've ever seen is just wrong, what do you do next? Well, we didn't want them to just hope they figured it out. We wanted to create a, a culture, a family atmosphere where they could just kind of show up. And even if they chose to keep their mouth shut for quite some time, they could just see what it looked like to love one another, to forbear one another, to eat together, to, to share your food, to share your, your vehicles uh, or, or your trailers when you need to and and to, and to just actually care about each other, spend time together. Because a person who's you know, radically saved from um, darkness or never knowing how to live a normal life, they need a little more attention than one hour on Sunday, to be honest with you. They just, if the learning curve is steep, it can be expedited by just being immersed in a beautiful family. That's what we've been doing for years. I felt that there was going to be a slight shift, like the, like the core family values, you know, Christian values here were, were strong enough that there was going to be a subtle shift. Does that mean we just Change everything? Absolutely not. That means most of what you're doing doesn't change at all. Yeah. But that their, their grace from God was going to be on, uh, it was going to be easier for people to, he was going to start leading people or inspiring you to invite people, whatever. And then, and it was going to be easy for them to figure out what's going on here because it is clearly obvious what we do. Yeah? yeah. That's exciting. Um, second from that, um, I felt in my heart, no offense to St. Mary, that it was time for us to start looking for a new home um, as a church family. Not me and Chris, but we got one. Um, I felt it was time to start looking for a new home. And it's not because we don't like it here. It's not because the accommodations aren't good or, or anything else. They've been nothing but kind to us. They've, they've been very accommodating. It's been very good. Um, it's just something the Lord put in my heart. I didn't think we would, I thought we would stay even longer than we have, and maybe we will. It's not done yet, but... Um, I felt it was time to shift towards that. Now, that's a, that's a hard thing um, for, to, well, it's easy to hear. That sometimes can feel pretty daunting to accomplish because, in truth be told, getting church real estate worked out is the most complicated part of all of church. 
There's nothing more complicated than church real estate. One, it's commercial property. If you know anything about real estate, that's very expensive. Two, this town uh, has high demand for church-ish property, things that could be used for churches. That's the steep competition, to say the least. Um, the easiest, the, the, the easiest way for young churches to uh, get churches kind of handed to them, the most common way is that a, a, an older church or something is phasing out or shutting down. It's left to a denomination. The denomination calls one of their denomination pastors and says, would you like to take this over? This happens all the time. The problem is we're largely non-denominational, um, meaning we have no direct ties to a larger organization that's going to inherit a building and look for us to give it to us, right? So this is like, it gets more and more complicated as we go. Um, that being said, since Kirsten and I went into ministry, we've had to do everything that he put in our heart just seemed impossible and seemingly hopeless uh, by the human standards. And we just had to trust God that, all right, well, you have to work something out. Like we believe in miracles in all forms and fashions. She's laughing. I don't know why. I guess, I don't know, <laughs> We believe in miracles in all forms and fashions, and, and we've just had to trust the Lord implicitly in many, many areas, time and time again. We've learned to live by faith. We have faith to move mountains, as they say, um, in, in many, many areas, and we've just said, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Um, lo and behold, uh, some time ago, a couple months ago, several months ago, actually, uh, somebody approached us and said, hey, we have a non-denominational church building that's not in heavy use, and we're um, ownership's changing, and they would like for you to take it over as a church family. And I'm like, that sounds great. That sounds like really good timing from what God said, and this sounds great. This is going to work. I talked to the new people, and they were. I was like, yeah, there's one uh, real big problem here. We have a colossal children's program for a church our size. We need classrooms and bathrooms and none of that's there and they were like there's a building fund that we could tap into essentially we could just build all that stuff for you we're like this is getting better as we go and so um um this doesn't end where you think it's going to by the way but <laughs> just want to forewarn your hearts um, so uh not many people know about this we're, we're working on this mark and i uh mark is helping me work out details we're planning we have visions we're drawing up um Proposals for uh, renovations and we're having we had 3d models made and and by the way, this is coming one day soon uh, But one time Kirsten and I years ago. We went into a church and at the back of the sanctuary they had a, um, a, a Room built on the other side of the wall with a one-way mirror and it was soundproof one-way mirror, huh? Yeah, no. All right, you're really throwing me off then. <laughs> uh, yeah, Two-way mirror, I don't know. Yeah. The thing that you can only see through one way. Um, <laughs> speakers went, it was for uh, toddlers, nursing mothers, sleeping babies, whatever. And it was like, instead of roaming the halls, uh, where's Rick at? He's probably roaming the halls now. But um, uh, <laughs> instead of roaming the halls, chasing a toddler that's squeaking and squawking, they could go in there. And then the people are like very much still in the sanctuary, but, you know, separated enough that it's not distracting. Um, phenomenal idea. We were drawing up all of our dreams and visions, and it was really great. And then um, two weeks ago, last week we did testimonies, two weeks ago we preached on unbelief. And I just want to, just as also, slight side note, um, any, I, I consider myself to be what they call a spirit-led preacher. I don't I have a curriculum that I follow, you know, I plan out a year in advance and I can just tell you what's going to be on September 15th or whatever. Like, I don't have any of that. Every single week of my life I believe that I can find God and he'll tell me what to talk about and it will be timely, hopefully. Two weeks ago I preached on unbelief. We used a passage called, um, that when the man brought his child, who the disciples could not heal from the demon possession, brought him to Jesus. 
He said, if you can do anything for us, have compassion. And Jesus said, if I can. He said, sir, if you can believe, I can do anything. And he said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And we and I asked everybody to reckon with the um, reckon with the the idea, the conflicting idea that as a believer you can still have unbelief. That there's nowhere in Scripture that says if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, you would never doubt anything else. The entire New Testament is people who believed in Jesus but wrestled with unbelief. Yeah. And so. Um, it's just like, just deal with that fact. And I admitted that day that Kirsten and I, uh, we are proud that we have faith to move mountains, but still have unbelief in certain areas. Maybe mine's different than hers. Um, the next day I get a call, but we have a conference call with the people with the church business thing. And, and one of the players who was, um, you know, involved in the beginning had been, you know, kind of absent from a lot of the talks showed back up and we found some new hurdles that I'm believing were irreconcilable differences in many ways. There was just some visions of what was going to happen here and there spare you the details, the whole thing just came to a grinding, never going to happen, shut down halt in one conversation after months of working and planning and drawings and, and every single thing. And then all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me in that moment that, wow, that word yesterday was for me, <laughs> which I never want those words to be for me. But here we are, and I'm, I'm, I'm the very thing that I probably admitted, I would just be honest, that's one of the few things that I know I have little to, I have a lot of unbelief in those areas. I hear all these stories of people doing the work of God, preachers, pastors, whatever, uh, doing the work of God, doing these things, and there's these random millionaires showing up and being like, I believe in you. Here's a million. Do it better. And I'm like, I could probably do it better with a million, but I feel confident in that statement. Nonetheless, I have almost no faith. I'm admitting to you. I have no faith that that's ever going to happen because it's just a weird block in how I view my role in this world, I guess. I don't know. Here's the thing I do know about faith is oftentimes we are mistakenly, we we can even, like I am in this moment, acknowledging I have unbelief in a certain area, yet I'm doing nothing about it. Typically, I'm waiting for God to prove me wrong. And that's not how any of this works. God proves nobody wrong other than we just are wrong and we can buy faith with hope for something we haven't even seen yet grab a halt to there's a truth that's bigger than my understanding there's a truth that's bigger than my current reality there's there's truths right in front of me or being spoken to me and and i have to grab a hold to those and not the current state of reality that i've that i've kind of re relegated god to and i am failing in this department uh, but i'm trying to get better so nonetheless i i say that to say that i had a tremendous amount of of momentum and hope and and just the train was moving if you will and everything god had spoken it randomly boom somebody's offering it all the money's there everything is just clicking along it couldn't be better this was going to be the best story you ever heard one day when i told it um in my original vision and then and then all of a sudden boom it's not going to happen well, I don't even know where to go from there. You know, I, I held myself. I was really strong. And, I, and I, you know, I, I, I heard the news quite well. I was really strong for about 37 seconds. And then I started not doing so good. And then, you know, I'm laying in bed all night with just hopelessness. Just to be brutally honest, absolute hopelessness. Like, what do you do? I'm up, I'm up like for hours and hours just laying there. I get up early and just leave the house because no one wants to be around me when I'm not, you know, awesome. And so I just leave. And I go, and I um, 
And, and so if hope never disappoints, what do we do when we're disappointed? If hope never disappoints, what do we do when we get disappointed? Now, there's a couple obvious choices here. One, you could assume, as somebody pointed out the other week, maybe they were not hoping for the right things. Very possible. Or maybe it wasn't, um, you know, just not, it wasn't a godly thing. It was just a wishful thinking. That, yeah, yeah, wishful thinking can get you in trouble. Um, but the, the, the words that come from God should produce a hope for things we haven't seen yet. So what do we do when we get disappointed? We have to have um, we have to have some kind of an idea or system in place to get ourselves back focused. Because excuse me. Well, I wish I could promise you smooth sailing and smooth roads, and nothing's ever going to go wrong. There's never going to have any challenges. The word says these things are going to come. You have a choice to go through them with God or without God. One hurts real bad. One produces perseverance, character, and hope. Yeah. So what do we do? I, I, I had, you know, all night, I, this, the conversation was kind of late at night anyway. And then I had, you know, had the night of just sulking, if you will. And then I had to you know, decide, you know, do I stay here and wallow in this or do I get up and get going? So I got up and got going and I just, you know, I already had several appointments that day and I'm just I'm going to keep them. There's no, no need not to. And, uh, but I'm, but the disappointment is still there. And, and, and here's the hard part. A safe assumption when, when things don't work out is maybe that wasn't God, but it's not always the case. I still believe that it was the Lord. I do believe that that was all ordained by God, put it in my heart, put it in someone else's heart to reach out to us, put in all of that, I still believe, even telling this story today, that was all God. But somehow things went wrong. But in the back of my mind, I'll be honest with you, I'm spending a good portion of the day just, I can't even like go beyond like, I don't even know where to go from here, it's hopeless. And that's not who I am typically. But as I'm going through my morning, I remembered that Tim... Like Tim gave him a word. Tim gives all of you words eventually if you've been here any long time. They are from God. Tim's specialty, by the way, if you don't know this, he's not here. He's on vacation, so I'll talk about him. Tim's specialty is plucking the word of God out of the abyss of the endless seas of possibilities. He does better if you give him no details or no prompting for anything. Just stand next to him and he'll, hey, God wanted me to tell you. And... And here's the thing, as weird as it is, and maybe you understand what he's saying, maybe you don't. Maybe it's an imagery of toilet paper on your shoe, as someone said earlier. And you're like, I don't know what to do with that, Tim. But I promise you, unless you ask him, do you see a vision of toilet paper on my shoe? If he just comes out with that stuff, it is God somehow. Right? So the Sunday before this when this conversation, before this happens, we preach on unbelief. Um, we ask for anybody who wants prayer. A bunch of people come up for prayer. It's a radical time for the Lord. I don't know if, you know, I, I, you know people were at multiple healings. Uh, Alan testified last week that he had been he had been uh, suffering greatly, like terrible, terrible life-altering pain for 36 years. He had been to every great move of God on the planet in the last 36 years seeking healing. Um, he had been working on some unforgiveness, which seemed to be key. But we prayed for Alan, and he was healed after 36 years. He told the story last week. Like, it was, it was amazing. Uh, somebody else had a, uh, you know, a hernia. Uh, Josh, there he is. How's that coming? Doing good? Doing good. Josh had a hernia? Bad. Like, severe. You can feel it. Is it? Healed. You know? Healing in process, but healed nonetheless. There was emotional healing, physical healing. God is stirring, to say the least. 
We're praying for people. I'm not asking for prayer. Tim, hey, I feel like God wants me to tell you. He's doing a big thing. It's going to be bigger than you think and coming faster than you could ever imagine. And he, you know, he prays. And I'm thinking the whole time, Tim's giving me confirmation. See, words of God come in two, in, in, depending on where you're at in the process. They're either telling you where to go or confirming where you're at. And I'm thinking, I got this big deal going with this church. It's bigger than anyone ever imagined. It's happening faster than I can believe. Tim's giving me confirmation that we're on point. Then it falls apart the very next day. But the, then the following day when I'm riding around in hopelessness, Tim comes back to my mind. And Tim didn't know anything about that building. Tim didn't know anything about any of it. Tim just did what he does, and he plucked it out of the abyss and said, God's going to do a bigger thing than you can imagine faster than you think. So all of a sudden, I have to reconcile within myself this imbalance of I have hopelessness that this thing that God has told me to do could never come to pass, and or I can grab a hold to what Tim said, because I know he's good at this. He just went out of his way. Now, Tim doesn't give me many words, by the way. It doesn't happen often, but he went out of his way the day before the, the, the crumbling of this ordeal to tell me bigger and better and faster. So what do I do now? I have a choice. While I'm in the mess, in the feelings of hopelessness and self-pity and all that, or grab a hold to the word of God by faith. God told us it was time to start looking. God said he's going to do a bigger thing faster than we can think. Just grab a hold to it, right? So I'm grabbing a hold to it. I'm going through the day. I'm also, I am telling the story, but I hope you're like kind of thinking, like, how could I apply this to my life? Um, I'm not going to wrap it up quite as tight today, but so just, you know, figure it out for yourself. <laughs> going through the day, meeting people, talking to people, not talking about any of this. I don't want to talk about any of this. You know what I mean? I'm just doing the other things. At some point, I, 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 I lined up a time of meeting to meet a friend of mine. Uh, many of you know him. Uh, Chad Giles or some people, his nickname is Whaler. Um, friend of mine, we get together once in a while. We're talking, not really talking about all this because that's somewhat pointless. But towards the end, he, you know, it had come up that I was disappointed about something, and and he said, uh, "Do you know Star Trek?" I said, "Absolutely nothing about Star Trek." And he's like, "Okay, well then, I'll spare you the details." Um, he said, "There's this uh, the, the real details." You know, he said, "There's a a uh, general of sorts called Data." who has made this colossal mistake and has failed in some mission and is just completely lost in his self-loathing disappointment and has just refused to go forward. The captain, I believe his name is Kirk, goes to him and rallies him out of this, this cesspool of self-loathing and disappointment and gets him going. And as he's walking out, he makes this statement. I looked the video up. It's quite powerful. He said, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not weakness. It is life. And while that is not necessarily a quote from the Bible, uh, I said necessarily, it's not a quote. But it is not a quote from the Bible. But I will tell you this. Sometimes God uses people in your life. He'll use you in other people's lives as well. Sometimes you just God will in just bubble up an inspiration to say just the right thing at the right time. Because I realized in that moment that I had been really wrestling not with the failure of that deal. Because I will work something else out. I had been wrestling with the fact that I had forgotten that there are just times when you lose no matter what. I had, I had, in the back of my mind, I was trying to figure out where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? Because every, almost, almost every story in the Old Testament, which is the narrative stories that we're supposed to glean from, they, 
This tiny tribe of God's people go and they fight these enormous enemies, enormous in size and stature and numbers and military powers, whatever. And because they were the people who were known historically as the people who God fights with, they would just slaughter everything in front of them. It was crazy. And every now and then they would lose a battle and they would go back and they'd say, hey, what happened on that one, God? And he'd say, well, you've got... Somebody in your camp brought uh, idols from the last war, and they're harboring idols, and they got to get rid of that. Or, or somebody stole the goods from the temple or something. There's always some failure in the camp that led to the lost battle. They would eradicate said failure, go back to winning. On the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I have failed somewhere in this process, and this is why this is not working. Now, this moment, it's like I suddenly gave myself permission to even imagine then maybe I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not trying to create a scenario where I never do anything wrong, but I'm like, we put a lot of prayer and effort and attention into this just to be wrong. And I'm like, maybe we weren't just wrong, right? So, um, and so then, so then the next thing, I'm like, all right, great. So again, I have phone calls and things, and then somebody calls, and I'm like, hey, this, this poem pops in my mind, and I... And I, and I remember from years ago, and I, and I say, hey, there's this line in this poem, and I, and I really think it would be good for you, and I, and I just quoted it, and then I sent him the thing, but then when I sent it, because I looked it up to send it to him, I listened to it myself, and I remember, there's this one line in it, it's from Rudyard Kipler, called If, there's this line in it that I remember, every time I hear it, it like stings my heart in a good way, and it says, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. It's this... It's really easy to believe that, that, that our, our notions, our emotions of disaster wouldn't be of God. But sometimes our notions and emotions around the idea of conquering and triumph is neither with God either. It's, it's this, this failure and triumph. It's, just, it's this mental battle that we sometimes get stuck in. It's one or the other. And it's like 100% of the time. We're somewhere in the middle when we're living a good life. And so... It's, it's just these little pieces where I just like, um, don't get me wrong, uh, I read my Bible a lot, God uses it a lot for me, uh, but there's just there's these few other things that get sprinkled in and out when you're down and out, and God's kind of like trying to trying to like do CPR on you, He's trying to pump you back to life and get you back to going yourself. So life's looking a little better, I'm feeling a little better about myself. The next morning, I wake up and I, and I don't... Um, I don't listen to many sermons at all, hardly ever, um, and very select few people who I listen to on any level. But uh, Bill Johnson is one of them. I felt inspired to look at a Bill Johnson video. I feel confident it wasn't for the message he was preaching uh, per se, even though it was a great message. It was to get me to a section of scripture in Judges 20. Um, he, he had a different take on you know what to do with this passage. It was also good. Um, but I realized in Judges 20, you don't have to turn there. We're going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. But I realized in that moment that God was trying to speak to me about failure and, tri and tribulations and triumphs and disasters and all that stuff. In the story of Judges 20, you can go back and read it if you want. Um, it's what I would describe as a salty one. It's, it's pretty brutal in the, in the backdrop of what's going on here. Um, there has been some, uh, in, the Israel tri in the Israel nation, there's tribes, there's 12 tribes, and, and one of the tribes apparently is going very astray in their hearts, and they're doing a lot of wickedness. A traveling Levite runs into all kinds of trouble. There's a concubine killed. There's, it's just, it's an ugly story. I'm not even going to tell that part of it because 
Yeah, you don't need that mental liberty right now. Um, that's another day. This, all you need to know is an atrocity has been committed by one of the tribes towards one of the Levites. The Levite goes and tells the other tribes. They all rally against this one tribe of Benjamin um, to set this wrong right. Roughly 400,000 soldiers line up to go fight one tribe that has, I believe it was like 20,000 soldiers. I'm going to butcher the numbers, but you can... Uh, Fact check me later. Uh, 400,000 against 20-ish thousand. Christian really wants me to say 26,000. 420,000 against 26,000. By anyone's estimation, this is, a, this is a home run, right? They, not only that, not only just in numbers and logic, they went to God in this storyline and they said, God... Shall we go up against them? And who should go first? Who should go first? He said, yes, send Judah first. Judah, the tribe of Judah would go in. The men, they go up against this. They're like, you know, 20 to 1 in numbers. And they go up. And on day 1, it says that the, the Israelite, the, tri the other tribes, they lost, I think it was 20-some thousand men that day. Died. They had 10 to 1 in numbers. And they lost more men than they were battling. Like, it was outrageous. They retreated naturally. And then the next day, got up, lined up again. They said, uh, God, shall we go again? And he said, yes, go again. The second day, I believe they lost about 18,000 men the second day. There's no indication that anyone from the Benjamite tribe is dying at all. And so, uh, then, so then they, they come back at the end of the second day. They go into fasting, which we're not going to talk about fasting today, but we had that time of fasting. But I'm just... When you start looking for fasting, it's in weird places. If you were battling a, a group of people that you were like already 20 to 1 in numbers and had lost two days in a row, do you think you'd want to make yourself stronger or weaker to finish out that third day strong? <laughs> they fasted and then cried out to God and they said, God, shall we go again? And he said, yes, but this time you'll have victory. Now, just wanted to point out, one, Faith, hope, love, perseverance. Would you get up the second day and ask again? Maybe third day? You're really going to get up and say, shall we go again? Like, these are, this is some radical ideas of what it looks like to be faithful and just, I serve God at all costs. Like, there's a wrong, it must be righted. God's saying, go, we go. Second day, that first day went horribly wrong. It should have been done in the first hour. Here we are. Uh, God, shall we go? Okay, let's go, guys. Third day. We're coming back for third. There's no, there's no telling how, how long would they have just kept coming back and saying, shall we go again, Lord? They found it in them, or they understood perseverance and faith, maybe to a degree that we don't fully understand. But I'm reading this story now, and I'm like, yes, I feel... No, I didn't lose 22,000 men on Monday. However, disappointment nonetheless, and... I'm battling through disappointment. I'm wrestling with, did I do something wrong? I, I, I'm, I'm feeling maybe somebody gave me a, a divine, an inspired word of God, uh, from God to give me permission to be okay with losing sometimes, even though you're not making a ton of mistakes. And I'm like, okay, I'm grab, trying to grab a hold of that. And then God gets me to this passage of scripture where scripture is very clear. It's, it would be easy to speculate they had something going wrong. Although 
the Hebrew script literature is very, very clear with what they leave in and what they take out. There's no mention of anything them doing wrong other than serving God faithfully, obediently, and they still lost a battle. Still lost another battle. They kept finding the faith and the perseverance to get up and ask again, lose another battle. They get up and ask again, lose another battle. Now, the third day sounds a little better. At least tax on this day you're going to win. There's still no promise of no casualties, but there's a promise of today you'll win. Now, they get a little more strategic in their third battle. Um, they don't just line up and get slaughtered. They, they kind of have a plan, if you will. Plan goes pretty good. They end up winning. It, uh, you know, uh, yay for the home team. And then, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking, God, I feel the permission to just march forward in faith, doing the things you're telling me to do, while doing that to the best of my ability and not knowingly having compromise, which is what they had in those other stories. They'd have compromise somewhere that was fouling the whole herd up. No, not having any compromise that we are not conscious of. I'm, I'm now okay with this, um, this idea. But are you, I felt this other tug in my heart. said, are you also telling me that there's going to be two losses before a win? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. But I know that when I read the scripture, I found <clears throat> the scriptural permission to be okay with losing these battles and not having to find what's wrong with me in the midst of it. That's a win. And then two, I'm like, God, are you trying to, this is a really specific story of a number of losses and then a win. Are you telling me we have to push through another loss? And the question, uh, it might be yes, it might be no. I don't know yet. I have a strong enough feeling that I know that I'm, that I'm now telling God, if it is that, please bring the second failure quickly. I don't want to delay the second failure. I want to embrace the pain. I want to embrace the loss, the, the, the whatever manpower, energy is wasted on the second battle. I want to embrace that right now and get it over with. Because my perseverance is running thin. No. <laughs> no. I can spread it out. I'm good either way. But I'm like, God, I don't want to run from this. I want to wake up and say yes to you, Lord. God gave me my freedom many years ago. How many know that Jesus came to set the captives free? He said that, yeah? He said he came to bring liberty to the oppressed. He came to he came to bring the spirit of the Lord to be anointed upon us to set us free. No more bondage and chain. Like This is what he came to do. And God set me free many years ago. And in that freedom, I chose, this was long before I was a pastor. I was free from all the bondage and chains in, in life in general. And I was working through just becoming a person of character with God, as we spoke of earlier. And this goes on for years and in there, I became this hot pursuit of how to be so lost and in, in just in, in wrapped up in him and in his love that I, I, my goal was I wanted to feel like my feet didn't touch the earth anymore. That was, a, you know, in a roundabout way, that was my goal. I wanted faith to move mountains, and I wanted my feet to be off of this ground for the rest of my time. And, and, uh, and I sought the Lord faithfully, diligently, for years. And in a, in a magic moment, uh, one many years ago, I, I the Lord did and take this for what it will. You nobody was there to verify this story, but uh, I felt like the you know kind of like an Isaiah moment or or John moment. Like I, I felt like God really you know just opened the heavens and I was kind of felt like almost like I wasn't on the earth anymore. It was everything that I had ever dreamed and sought and hoped for. And God was speaking to me and I was speaking to Him. I, I'm not going to say that I could see Him, but we were speaking clearly, openly, and. 
And I just knew in that moment that that was everything that I had ever wanted, that I, I took my freedom to find God and I found him. And I said, this is where I want to be, God, for the rest of my life. I don't care about anything else, this. And God said, you are free to stay here. But I would ask that you go back to serve my people because I couldn't necessarily do both. I couldn't sit in the mountains by myself for hours upon end and do all of this. I had to choose. And in that moment, without any hesitation, I, I can tell you that I said, God, if that's where you want me to be, that's where I want to go. And God uh, showed um, a vision of uh, shackles coming down and put on my wrist. And, and God said, I now call you bondservant. Now, this all sounds weird, like a weird twist of the story, but it's somewhat relevant, I promise you. But if you notice, Paul calls himself a bondservant. I'm not likening myself to Paul. That would be um, not fair, but... Paul. Um, the word bondservant, I looked it up that day. I didn't really know what it meant. It's different from slaves. Slaves serve because they have to. God came to set the captives free. Bondservants take their freedom. They're freed slaves that choose to serve the same master that set them free. Because they got a good master, yeah? So in that moment, I had a choice. I could do the thing that I wanted to do and that I had set out to do. And I don't think he would have been mad at me. But he said, I'd like for you to go back and serve. And I said, I'll go. So he made me a bondservant. And I've never lost sight of who I am in this relationship. He is the king. I am just a bondservant. I do what I'm told and I'll do it to the day I die or something kills me. I don't care. And nothing bothers me. I'm telling the story of something bothering me. But I got over it quickly. And then... <laughs> And so I'm like, God, I'm, now I'm back to, I remember who I am. I remember who you are. I remember our relationship. I remember our deal. I do what you want me to do at all costs. I will die doing it. If that's what you need, let's go. What are we doing? Are we doing three battles? Let's get the second one going. So I got to get to the third one. Let's go. What are we doing? And you just, and the hope is rising. The, the steam is building and we're going. I have other irons in the fire, by the way, unrelated to the building. So like, I'm like, pick one. one make one of these blow up. Let's get it over with. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm telling you all this story to say, tribulation will find some form or fashion, some kind of way to get into your life, even if you're not making mistakes, even if you're not having um, compromise hidden in the camp somewhere, even if you're doing everything right, somebody around you will find a way to bring tribulation somehow in your life. And the question will be, go through it with God or without God. Even the few moments I spent without letting God just heal my wounds, the few moments I spent that night were awful. And I can't imagine going through life like that for any amount of time. Um, so don't. Get up the next day and go find what it takes to get you back in the saddle. Get up the next day and go hunt it down. Go, don't go look for more trouble. I'll be honest with you. I, I, had, I had some meetings lined up that day, and I only took more easy ones. I didn't take hard ones because I needed a win. You know what I mean? Like, set yourself up for success. Find people who can speak into your life, and, and, and you don't need answers. I didn't need answers that day. I didn't need to talk about my problem. I just needed people who would encourage me to do the kingdom work. So we, you go find that, you go, as they say, the old saying, they say, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Now, that's a little unpopular these days for the connotations, but in the Lord, it does work. You can wallow or you can say, all right, God's got a good plan, a good system. Let's go do that. Let's go find the inspiration again. Let's go, let's see who can speak some life back into these dead bones today. And then next thing you know, bada bing, bada boom, 24 hours, you're back in business, looking for the next battle to possibly win or maybe lose, according to the story of Judges. Who knows? Nonetheless, God wins his wars. Yeah. 
He will win. He made big promises many thousands of years ago, and they are steadily coming to pass. We have the end of the book. I don't know. Everybody uh, thinks the end of the book is the cataclysmic failure of uh, Revelations, but there's an end of that book, too, which is total victory on earth. It sounds pretty good to me. Um, so let's just believe for better days. When you do get down, ask yourself two questions. Did I shoot myself in the foot and cause this calamity? Is there compromise? Am I not listening to the Lord? Am I in front of the Lord? If all that's like, no, I think I'm good. Then the second one is, am I just fighting battles that have to be fought, maybe lost to get to the ultimate victory? Maybe. Maybe. See, the, the, there are differences at times, and I, I can only speculate on this. I can't, I haven't come to final conclusion, but... Um, in every other lost battle in the narrative stories, there's a compromise or something is wrong why God isn't fighting for them anymore. They're fighting these heinous and monstrous at times enemies that have these horrible lifestyles and other gods. And God's kind of using his chosen people to walk through them and reclaim the land. Yeah, but then in this story, there's no obvious sin in the, in the Israelite camp. There's also no obvious enemy. They're fighting against a brother. A lost brother, a fallen brother, but a brother that should be restored nonetheless. So I'm just trying to throw that out there not to get too deep into that, but to say at times battles might be lost for bigger purposes than you understand. Yeah? And when they and no matter what's going on, just find a way to get back in the saddle, to find the encouragement you need to keep going, to get yourself going. Don't wallow in self-pity and, and all that. I know it's hard. I know it stinks. I know it's bad. It's not fun. Get up and get going. Yeah. It's a decision we make every day. It's a decision we make every day. When I preach a word on unbelief, tell me next time it's coming. Yeah? Yeah? Just by the way, on that note, if I ever come in here and preach a word on forbearing one another and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's coming. <laughs> I've done that one before. I know what happens next. Everyone in the room will then be annoyed or angered or infuriated by one or everyone around them in the next one or two weeks. It's an invitation from God to deal with it and rectify it. God doesn't want me to live in the, any areas of unbelief, and he wants me to rectify these things. So... We're our, uh, the cat's out the bag. God has said we're supposed to find a new building. It's scary to say that now because there's no prospects in sight. Um, but I tell you that to say, pray. Amen. Just pray. It would be the most colossal waste of kingdom resources to me ever to buy a two, four, five million dollar building and meet there two hours a week, one on Wednesday, one on Sunday. I can't imagine a worse waste of money. We are a people who love to hang out. We eat together multiple times a week. We would do it more if we had a better setup. We gather for hours and hours on Wednesday, hours all day on Sunday. We do life events at each other's houses. I can only imagine if we had the right setting, we would probably do like Friday night social events regularly where there could be campfires, possibly game nights. I'll put TJ in charge of that. Um, we've all got colleagues. You know, you just got to know who you are in life. And, then, and so I can only imagine the endless possibilities of a group like this having a place to call home. Um, this is this is a good place too, but this place gets a lot of traffic. We're not the only people who use this building. There's like all week long people coming and going, so there's a little limitation there. Nonetheless, pray, yeah. pray. Just see what the Lord says. Speak life into it. Just don't just ask for answers. Speak life into it. Just ask that God release the building, release the the hearts of the people who control it. Whatever, we'll figure it out. But pray, yeah. pray and believe. Yeah. 
The next one might need some money involved. So if you have big stashes of cash, you've been waiting to give me, now's the time. So I hope, um, oh, I got one more. Romans 8. Hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. This is a chance, an opportunity for hope. The story was to tell you how I dealt with radical disappointment when there's not supposed to be any disappointment and hope. Um, but nonetheless, hopefully you can apply that to some area of your life where disappointment or hopelessness creeps in. Nonetheless, I had hope, and just because we lost the first battle doesn't supersede the hope that God gave me. It's just a hope that we can't see yet. It's a hope that we have to pray into, believe for, and, and buy into these ideas and push for and, and just start to really dream and talk to God about. It will come to pass. We've come a long ways from, like, God put it in my heart, like, Many years ago, you, you know, this is what the God I'm calling you and cursing to do. I'm just like, how do I get from here to there? Because there's like a chasm of obstacles between here and there, and it just works it out. Yeah. So it's not going to stop now. Amen. So pray, Amen. believe, talk to God, report back what you hear if you got anything. And if you find tribulations, struggles, disappointments, let God bring you back to life quickly and get on with it. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the words you've given us to, to dream about, to, to dare to believe that this church family deserves a church home, that we can call home and that we can gather and meet and have events and, and come and go and the children can be free to roam and play. We just thank you, Lord, for the dreams you put in our hearts, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, that even when we lose battles and get disappointed, Lord, that you are—you don't even skip a beat. You're fighting to get our hearts back realigned with you. That through you, Jesus, you would bring peace or a restoration of imbalance between us and God. That you don't want us to spend one minute wallowing in self-pity. You want us to live in balance with God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word that you have put in us through your written word, through your through your psalms, through the the, the the spoken words like Tim shares with us, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for the for the words you give us to grab a hold to and live by. We ask you, Lord, to release a special grace on Tim's word right now. That you're going to do a bigger thing faster than we can imagine. We're going to partner with you, Lord, in prayer. And we thank you, Lord, that as we wrestle with unbelief and disappointment and things, Lord Jesus, that your grace is ever sufficient to bring peace, the restoration of imbalance. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this beautiful day, this beautiful time of fellowship, the food we're going to break and eat and, and talk in fellowship in your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Can I say one thing? Yes, please. chooses God over um, money even being thrown at him for not compromising that something that he thinks God would not approve of. And so I had more hope 
that he had something bigger for us because you were strong and just knowing that this wasn't right. So, I mean, I just praise God. I think he's got something much bigger. Amen. Amen. Let's let's believe for that. Um, We have just a few minutes uh, for the same.